Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Hey, good. Special welcome to uh, Ron Willett. I saw one of our uh, missionaries uh, earlier. Where'd you, where'd you end up, Ron? There you are. Welcome to Ron, one of our missionaries uh, in for the weekend. And so uh, great to see you as well today. So it's our second week in our series in Psalms, and we're in Psalm 42 this week. And the theme of this psalm is spiritual depression. I didn't coin that phrase, that came from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones was a Welsh medical doctor who became a well-known and influential pastor in London years ago. He was perhaps best known for his expository preaching at Westminster Chapel in London, where he served for 25 years and uh, retired in 1968, so this is some time ago. But he wrote an entire book called Spiritual Depression one of his greatest books, and uh, that's the theme of what we're looking at today in Psalm 42. So grab your Bible or open up your device or uh, run back to the table and get a Bible there. You know, we don't have tables under the seats in here, so it'd be a great time to get in the habit of bringing your own Bible if uh, it's not on your device. So, but I'm going to read it for you. Just follow along and I'll read it out loud. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so, my, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So there's an inscription at the beginning of this psalm, I didn't read it, but it says, to the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. So I want to jog your memory a little bit. Back in Numbers, we read about Korah. Korah was a Levite. He was one of the descendants of the tribes of Levi. Korah and 250 of his buddies rebelled against Moses in the wilderness, rebelled against Moses' authority. And God had the ground open up, swallow them alive, and they died. But later in Numbers, we see that some of his sons survived, and they became musicians for the people of God. The descendants of Korah conducted public worship in Israel, and there's 11 psalms that are ascribed to them. So what's the background of this psalm? What occasion prompted its writing? Well, actually, we don't know. It's unspecified. But it's obvious from what we just read that this man was experiencing an intense, serious trial of some kind. 
And the theme of this psalm is a person who is struggling to make sense of this difficult experience that he's going through. We sometimes call it spiritual depression. It's what the ancients used to call a dark night of the soul. It's called different things, and it comes in different forms and different degrees. Excuse me. Some of you have experienced it and know it very well. Randy Alcorn is the author of the book Heaven and the book Happiness, two books that uh, we've used in our uh, fall sermon series and small group studies in the past. Randy is a friend, and he's, he's a respected, godly pastor, professor, and author of more than 50 books now. And yet he, too, has suffered from depression. And I want you to listen to what he writes about it. This is a quote from him. I think that depression is something that is elusive, but we sort of know what it is. It's the state of having this cloud over you, the sense of being ill at ease, kind of a loss of happiness, a sense of where's the joy in my life. My own experience with depression has not been extensive, but I have had times in my life, one time for four months, where every day I would get up, I'd spend time with the Lord, I'd get up in the morning, and I wasn't just tired, I didn't just need coffee, it's just that there was this dark cloud End quote. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. What that's like and what to do about it. And I want to begin, <clears throat> I want to look at the subject through the lens of Psalm 42. And we're going to see the reality of depression, the reasons for it, and some remedies. And I want to begin by laying a little more groundwork. I want to talk to you about the reality of depression. So this is on your notes, your sermon notes, so you might find those and pull them out of your bulletin or open these up on your app. Most of you, I think, have heard of the four spiritual laws. I want to share with you today three spiritual flaws when it comes to the subject of depression. I want to credit Pastor Skip Heitzig for these three misconceptions about depression. Here's number one, that it's all in your head. That it's not real, it's just sort of uh, an imaginary thing. That's flaw number one. I may be quick to answer that by quoting from the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta. According to their findings, some 9% of American adults struggle with depression at any one time. That's nearly one out of 10 American adults who experience feelings of sadness and hopelessness and despondency. Moreover, they go on to say 3% have major depression, which is a longer-lasting, more severe form of it. I checked out the Department of Veterans Affairs website this week. It says that those with PTSD are three to five times more likely to suffer from depression as well. And I assume the true, that same would be true for other kinds of traumatic experiences. So this is a big deal. It's very common. You know, the Bible says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And because of that, there's this delicate balance we all have of the physical, emotional, and spiritual components in our lives. Our brains are greatly influenced by numerous chemicals that can become imbalanced for a number of reasons. Add to that the fact that our physical condition greatly impacts our emotional and our spiritual well-being. That means if you're not eating well, if you're not exercising that you've increased your chances of suffering from depression. And so this claim that depression is just something in our imagination is not only flat out wrong, it's certainly 
not helpful. As a seminary student in Dallas, Texas years ago, I spent an entire semester as a chaplain assistant in the psych ward of Richardson General Hospital. Once a week, I would drive up to Richardson and uh, sit in open group sessions, counseling sessions. I spoke in chapel a couple of times and basically got to know the patients of Dr. Paul Meyer up close and personal. Many of them were believers, and I am convinced, not just because of that experience, but partly because of that, that uh, it, depression is certainly not something that is in our imagination. It's a very real problem. Here's misconception number two. Christians should never be depressed. So if you believe that, I'd suggest you just fight out, avoid the book of Psalms, okay? Because you're going to be disappointed. The people who wrote the Psalms are all over the map emotionally. They're on a high and then bam, they're in the depths, come crashing down, sometimes in the very same Psalm. And some people paint this false picture of what it's like to come to Christ. They say, well, you know, just come to Christ and all of life's problems will automatically be solved. You'll be always happy, you'll be always wealthy, you'll be always healthy. And that certainly is not true and not helpful to hear those kind of things. Yes, we have resources the world doesn't have. We have the Holy Spirit in our lives. But being phony or portraying a certain emotion like it's the only way that we're going to live actually isn't true. In fact, in some cases, coming to Christ actually makes the road rougher. Sometimes... Becoming a follower of Jesus Christ leads to persecution. And friend, if you are a newer follower of Jesus, I want you to understand, especially understand this subject of depression, because we often don't do a very good job explaining this to new believers. And the first time it happens to you, it can sort of really throw you off. So if you're a newer Christian, you need to learn that this can happen to you, and you need to learn how to deal with it, which is why we're in Psalm 42 today. So these two flaws, first, it's all in your head. Secondly, that Christians should never be depressed. And then here's flaw number three. If you are depressed, it means you are unspiritual or immature. That you're unspiritual or immature. And if you believe that, you'll have a hard time with much of the Bible and with most, I think, most of the heroes of the Bible. So think of the heroes of the faith, like David, who wrote, my soul is in anguish, O Lord, how long? Like Elijah the prophet, great spiritual giant used by God greatly, but when Queen Jezebel threatened his life, he went running out into the desert and sat down there and he cried out, it is enough, O Lord, take my life. That doesn't sound very healthy. Okay, or how about Job? Last time I checked, God said he was the most righteous person living on the earth in his day. But the Bible also says that Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. So you got to be pretty low to get to that place. And then there's Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. He wrote a whole book we call Lamentations on this subject. Over in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, I, I was burdened beyond measure so that I despaired even of life. All of these spiritual people, heroes of the faith, and yet they suffered from depression as well. And so we've considered the reality of depression. Next, let's look at some reasons for it. 
We need to understand some causal factors, and I use that term cautiously, reasons or causes, because there's so many possible ones, we don't have time to look at them all. And secondly, because they don't automatically have to lead to depression, but they can. See the difference? They can, but don't have to automatically go there. But in general, here's three things that I see in this psalm associated with spiritual depression. Number one is attacks and criticism. Attacks and criticism. Notice in verse 3 he writes, They say to me all day long, Where is your God? Now in some psalms we hear about enemies of the psalmist who are actually trying to kill the person and that's the enemies they're writing about and that's not apparently the situation here. Here the enemies are taunting him. They're most likely people he lives near or works with and they're mocking him. They're saying, where is your God? What does that mean? If your God really cares about you, then why is this happening to you? Why would he allow this in your life? Whoever this author is, He's surrounded by his critics. He's surrounded by people who are taunting him and mocking him and rejecting him. And then I want you to see this as well. It's not just the question he's hearing others say to him. It's also going to his heart. Because when we get down to verse 9, it says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? So he's voicing it as well. And sometimes that's how people feel during these times of spiritual dryness. Here's number two, another reason for depression and dryness. It's a loss of community. Notice verse four. It speaks to this. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng to lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Then in verse 6, he goes on and he says, My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mitzar. Now we're not told why this happened, but what we learn here is that this guy used to be in Jerusalem, leading the worship procession at the temple. It was a regular part of the feasts and the festivals there, but now something has happened that caused the loss of community that he used to be part of. So he's up north now, up near Mount Hermon, which is the northernmost part of Israel, without access any longer to the community and to the festivals he enjoyed so much. We don't know why he's up there. We don't know if he was captured and exiled or if he moved up there for some reason. We aren't sure why, but the point is this, that we all need community. See, there's individual Bible study, but there's also corporate Bible study in community. There's individual prayer, but there's also corporate prayer. There's individual worship, but there's also corporate worship. And they're not the same. You need both. And this guy's remembering fondly. He says, I long for a multitude-keeping festival. That's verse 4. Referring to the feasts of Israel that he was part of. There were three of them every year that the Jews were commanded to celebrate, to go up to Jerusalem and to celebrate these extended times of reading God's word, of corporate celebration and worship. For example, one of them was the Passover feast. That, and that kind of community is so important for God's people. And so is smaller group community as well. 
So here's the thing. Americans, I believe, tend to underestimate the importance of communal spiritual disciplines. We tend to be very individualistic. And of course, that is completely antithetical to biblical Christianity as well as to common sense. But this psalmist doesn't underestimate it. We tend to think, Americans tend to think, you know, I can come to church as an individual, I can meet with God, I can sing a song, I can listen to a sermon, I can go home, but I don't need to be part of a deeper community. I don't really need accountability in my life. Friend, even if you come to worship regularly, if you never get into a deeper form of community, at some point, I believe you will find yourself lonely and calling out from Mount Mazar, as it were, wondering why things are so dry and despairing. You can fall into spiritual dryness because you have lost your spiritual community or because you never made the effort to build it. And by the way, it's not a one-time thing. You have to keep rebuilding it. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> you see, people come and go, and jobs move people around, and uh, ministry commitments and uh, opportunities change, and so you're around different people, you have different availabilities, and so it's important to make sure that you're constantly rebuilding community and accountability or else you can very easily slip out of it. Here's a third reason for depression and spiritual drought. Unfulfilled expectations. Unfulfilled expectations. Verse 9 again. The psalmist says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? So what does that mean? He's very disappointed with God. He's dealing with, I think, unfulfilled expectations. He's disillusioned with what's happened in his life, the events of his life. So you don't ask questions like this unless you're disillusioned with how things fit in with the idea of a good and a loving God, a fair and a wise God and what he's allowed. Notice in verse 2, the psalmist writes, My soul thirsts for God, when shall I come and appear before God? Literally, it says, when shall I see the face of God? And over and over, he expresses this sentiment. But it doesn't mean that he's lost his faith in God. I think what he's expressing is he's lost the, his experience of the presence of God. God seems far away at this time. He doesn't feel the presence and closeness of God. By the way, in some psalms, we see this condition, and it's pretty clear that it is a result of sin. And when the psalmist confesses his sin, it goes away, and we read about that in some psalms, but it's not, that doesn't seem to be the case here. This writer is experiencing a deep spiritual drought, and there's no indication that he's done something wrong to cause it. It's more about the circumstances he finds himself in. And here's my point. Sometimes dryness and depression will come upon a person even when they haven't done something sinful to cause it. Yes, I think it's a time that we need to search our hearts to make sure we're living in obedience, <clears throat> make sure there isn't a sin that we need to confess, but sometimes the cause of the darkness in your soul is not sin. It's more about unfulfilled expectations. 
Once again, think about who wrote this. One of the sons of Korah. And their life was all wrapped around the purpose of writing songs and leading public worship. Whenever our purpose is challenged or our usefulness is challenged, we become even more susceptible to spiritual depression. It shows up when a person, person feels trapped by something. Say you feel trapped in a marriage or trapped in your singleness or trapped in a job or forced into retirement you didn't want. And in those times, we start asking questions like, what use am I? What, what is my purpose in life anyway? See, we all have expectations, and some of them are realistic ones, and some of them are flat-out unrealistic. Realistic or not, when you have expectations and they don't happen, you can come crashing down. And so we see the reality of depression We've looked at some of the reasons, at least those expressed in this psalm, and now I want to close with some remedies for depression. And there are lots of remedies, by the way. Many of them are not very good ones. Some people will drink as a remedy or smoke something or shoot up something as a remedy, and of course that just makes things worse. One study I read this week said 35% of people who are depressed say that they try to solve it by watching television. Goodness, have you seen what's on television these days? Uh, that just makes it worse, too, I'm afraid. But here are five remedies, five things that I see in this psalm that I think are helpful. And the first one is this, to seek God with everything you've got. The psalmist begins by saying this in verse 1. He says, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Deer, aren't deer fun to watch? There's something about deer that just sort of makes you stop and watch what they're doing. And I, I see this mother deer and her baby about once a week right now in our neighborhood. Usually I notice them when they're walking across my front yard or eating the bushes. Uh, anyway, I read this week that when deer are thirsty, they will run at full speed until they find water. And when they finally find it, they'll often just stick their face down into that cold stream, sort of forgetting everything else around them which is unusual for deer because they're usually so alert and cautious. But when they're panting, they'll do almost anything to quench their thirst. So the psalmist is picturing himself like a deer that is desperate, desperately searching to quench his thirst. As water is to a deer, so God's presence should be for us. When we're dry, when our souls are in need of the Lord, He is the only Thing that can satisfy our deepest thirst. And when we recognize the darkness and the dryness starting to creep in, we need to seek him with everything we've got. Number two is to pour out your soul to God. See that in verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. And actually, this entire psalm is this man pouring out his soul to God very eloquently. He's saying, I don't feel you right now, God. I, I, I don't get anything out of my worship. I don't get anything out of my prayer and Bible reading. I just sort of feel dead and dry spiritually. Don't miss this, okay? If you are feeling dry and disappointed with God, you need to pour out your soul to him and talk to him about it. 
If nothing else, tell God how dry you're feeling right now. Talk to him about how much you miss him. Don't ignore the spiritual disciplines, even though that might be the temptation. I'm not getting anything out of my devotion, so I'm not going to have them. No, that's the worst thing you can do. You need to have them, and you need to be painfully honest in your conversations with God. Talk to him about how much you feel his absence in your life right now. Next step number three is to analyze your hope. And I credit Tim Keller with uh, pointing out this aspect of the psalm, this analyzing our hopes. Notice that verse 5 and verse 11 say the very same thing. It's the chorus of the song, and so I would venture to say it's probably the theme of the song. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my song. Notice he's not really talking to God here. It seems to me he's more talking to himself or asking himself the question, how did I get here? Why am I so downcast right now? What, what's he really looking for in asking that? I think he's analyzing what he's put his hope in. Why am I so downcast? It must be because I put my hope in some things that are letting me down. Listen, spiritual dryness is a perfect time for some heart examination because it can reveal some important things to us. It can reveal false hopes that we have. Sometimes we put an inordinate focus and hope on, for many, many things possibly, our marriage, our, our children, our, our friends, our jobs, or something else altogether. Anything, listen, anything that we elevate above God is a false hope, and a false hope that will let you down. And what the psalmist is doing here, it seems to me, is he's refocusing his hope on God. He's saying, you know, I've put my hope in some wrong things doesn't say exactly what they are here but I think what he's saying is I'm going to put my hope back where it belongs on God we need to relocate our hope we need to look to God for our ultimate approval our ultimate purpose and meaning our ultimate source of love and support and when we have that it's where we should be and nothing else can really shake us so easily. In times of dryness and depression, we need to look at what we're really putting our hope in. Very important. So he seeks God with everything he has, pours out his soul to God, analyzes his hope, and fourth, he remembers God's grace. He remembers God's grace. Notice in verse 6, he says, My soul is cast down within me, therefore... I remember. Therefore, I remember. He's being very deliberate about something here. He's remembering some things. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that this is the key to getting out of spiritual depression. You have to learn to preach to yourself, he said. I like that. You have to learn to preach to yourself. And what he's talking about is you have to sort of talk to your own heart, remind yourself of the truths that you know are true, you have to remember some things. Look at this. You have to look at who God is and what God has done for you. The psalmist is being very deliberate to remember something. Look at verse 8. 
By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. Steadfast love is the English translation of a very, very important Hebrew word. It's the word kesed. That word kesed appears 250 times in our Old Testament. It's a reference to God's loyal covenant love for his people. It's his unconditional love or his grace. It's the word, that's the same word in Lamentations 3 that we get the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, from. God's kesed. The steadfast love, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And the psalmist is thinking about God's faithful love to him and to his people. And he's turned it into this song that we're reading today. After all, that's what the sons of Korah did. They wrote songs. They led worship at the temple. And what he was doing was he's turning the grace of God into a song and singing it to himself. He says at night. Listen, friends. Music is very, very powerful. And if you want to avoid depression and overcome those dry seasons that come into your life, make sure that you are listening to solid Christian music all week long. Because what you listen to is what your mind and your heart dwell on. You might not even realize it, but it's true. And we need to meditate on God's faithful love and his other promises to us in his word. And music has such an important role to play in doing that. Finally, reminder number five, or remedy number five, look to the future. The psalmist is looking at his life, he's analyzing his hopes, he's trusting God to defend him from his mockers, he's remembering God's faithful love to him, and he's now he's turning to the future. Remember what the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 3? He said, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Forget what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. At some point in the conversation that we have with ourselves in our heart of hearts, we have to say to ourselves, you know, I have to let go of the past. I, I need to forgive this person. I have to forget what I did, and I need to focus on the future. See, whatever has happened in your past is past. Most of it cannot be changed. But we can affect the outcome of our future. And I want to conclude by saying, if you are experiencing what the ancients referred to as a dark night of the soul, as a Christian brother or sister, you are not a failure. You are simply part of the human race. You are not a failure. Many years ago, there was a young Midwestern lawyer who was suffering from a deep, deep depression. In fact, it was so bad that his friends thought to themselves, We're, we need to get sharp objects, razors, we need to get everything like that away from him. And they did. They took them out of his house. And this uh, lawyer, he couldn't see any purpose for going on. He couldn't see any 
hope for his future. And he wrote these words down. I am now the most miserable man living. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode that I shall not. But somehow, from somewhere, that young lawyer by the name of Abraham Lincoln got enough courage and strength to press on. And you know the rest of the story, how God used him greatly at such a defining moment in our nation's history. Beloved, even if you are in one of those dark down times in your life, understand that God has great plans for you. So let's talk about some applications. Three simple next steps as I close. Number one is this. I will support someone who is dealing with depression. Maybe this message today isn't so much for you because maybe you're not in that place right now. But maybe it's to remind you and to encourage you to help somebody else in your life. Will you decide today that you're going to be an instrument of encouragement to that person today? Or that you will be open in the event God brings someone into your life in the near future who needs your support? I will support someone who is dealing with depression. If that's you, mark that box if you're willing to say that to God. Next step two is I will increase my community. See, one of the most important things we can do to prevent spiritual depression in our lives is to make sure we have the kind of community that we need before, before those downtimes hit. And friends, we have openings right now in several of our small groups. They'd love to op open themselves up to you to be part of them. We're also starting some new classes today, an evangelism class next hour, uh, Financial Peace University class tomorrow night, for example. There's Bible studies available for you to be part of, men's and women's alike. Man Camp is coming up in just a few weeks, a great place to make some friends and build community. Reengage is always ready to accept new couples. Beloved, what I'm saying is please, please don't wait. Get connected in community. And next step three is I will pursue a remedy for my depression. If you are in one of those seasons of dryness and drought, please decide today you're going to do whatever it takes to find the remedy. See, one of the things about depression is you sort of feel incapacitated by it. And so what I'm saying is you need to be proactive. Maybe you need to pull a friend alongside you and say, will you help me do this? But you need to take some initiative. If you've been suffering for a long time from depression or if it's particularly deep, I want to encourage you also to see a professional Christian counselor. And we typically recommend Pearl Street Counseling Associates up in North Tacoma. But that is a very good option to consider as well. By the way, you and I have a resource that the author of Psalm 42 didn't have. And I want to mention that as I close. One of the big problems that we have in times of depression is the feeling that God has given up on us. That God has abandoned us. It's important to read psalms like this and remind ourselves of God's loyal love for us. But it's also important that we listen to the one who really felt abandoned by God. The one who really said, I am dying of thirst. Remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross, 
he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Think of the one whose enemies did taunt him. Where is your God? Let's see if he'll come and rescue you now. Don't you see, Jesus is the one who had that ultimate experience of the dark night of the soul. He didn't just lose the feeling of God's presence and closeness. The father actually did separate himself from the son for a time while he, on the cross Jesus bore our sin. He didn't just imagine these things were true. They were true for him. Why? So that in spite of our sin, in spite of our failure, God would never have to give up on us. God punished his son and gave him what you and I deserve so that we can receive God's grace and unfailing love. And when we remember what Christ did for us, it will help us get out of the trough. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this wonderful psalm that is inspired and you recorded for us for our benefit today. Thank you for the reminder of your love and grace and how faithful that is for us. And Father, we pray today for anyone here who is suffering from this dryness and depression that we're thinking about. Whatever degree they might be experiencing today, might they see this as an opportunity to experience a deeper level of your love and to grow even stronger in their faith, ultimately. Father, I pray that they would find their strength and their hope in you, and that you would give them sure reminders of your love and care for them this week. Please help us to be sensitive to people around us that need our encouragement, people you might bring into our lives this week. And Father, help us to take steps right now to prepare for the dry times in our own lives. If we're not in community, help us to take those steps toward community and relationship. And Father, we thank you that you alone are our hope and our strength, our solid rock on which we stand. Friend, if you're here today, I just want to offer this invitation. If you've never received Christ's forgiveness, the salvation that he offers to us by faith, I want to pray a prayer and invite you to pray it silently in your heart along with me. Just say something like this to the Father. Say, Father, I, I admit that I've sinned against you and I need your forgiveness. Today I turn from my sin and I thank you that Jesus Christ died to forgive me. In faith I receive his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of my sin today. And I look to you as my only true source of hope and purpose. I thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody agreed and said, amen. God bless you.